so we're in this series. We're, we're finishing the series today. We've been in uh, survival, survival manual for tough times. So what, you know, these have been tough times. These are difficult times. It always is, you know, <laughs> every season's difficult. The difficulties change. The difficulties are different. Uh, but every season in life has challenges. Marriage is tough at times. Marriage can be tough all the time. Uh, parenting has seasons uh, of difficulty. It start about two, uh, it goes to about 30. Uh, uh, so uh, what we acknowledge that life is tough, life is difficult. So how do we bring in biblical truth to help us manage and walk through these things? And then we'll talk to you about endurance. And that doesn't sound like fun, does it? Endurance. Endurance. It's always too early to quit is what I entitled this today. It's always too early to quit. Someone was wearing a T-shirt this week, and I don't think they know where it, knew where it came from. It was a young person wearing this T-shirt, and it said, tough times don't last, but tough people do. And it didn't say on the bottom that it was Robert Schuler who had said that. I don't know if any of you will even, you have to be old to remember Robert Schuler, but he was the guy who had the, the Crystal Cathedral out in California. And uh, he had written several books. He had written uh, books about uh, uh, kind of following after the guy in Chicago, uh, Norman Vincent Peale, on positive thinking. He was very big on positive thinking. And, and so he wrote some things about about, you know, you need to, tough people don't last, tough people do. And it's a, it's a true statement. I mean, you know, tough times come and go, and we have to endure through them. So how do we, how do, we do that? Uh, James chapter 5, James is good about endurance. James talks about tough times. He says, be patient, brethren, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until he gets the early and late rains. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts. For the coming of the Lord as at, is at hand. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. And then later in Hebrews, uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, it says this, so don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. So we need to persevere. And he gives these three examples of the farmer. The farmer is enduring as he is waiting for the harvest. And uh, while he's waiting for the harvest, he's not doing nothing. I mean, he didn't plant a seed and then go on a three-month cruise. He's not just waiting. While he's waiting, he's also working. He's, he's waiting, but he's waiting by the farmer's watering. He's weeding. He's trying to deal with pests. Uh, he's trying to, you know, hope that, that he's going to have a crop. He's waiting, but he's not doing nothing. I think sometimes we attribute waiting with nothing. Uh, the prophets, the prophets endured in op the opposition that they had, especially when they spoke things that were not popular. Jeremiah the prophet, even Moses, Moses in a sense the first 
the first prophet, uh, there were times that the people wanted to stone Moses. And it was only God's protection that protected him. Acts 7.52, Stephen, in his sermon, uh, which they eventually, this is like the last thing that he says before they begin to stone him. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. So they killed the prophets. The prophets endured. The farmer endures. And then he says, remember Job, because Job really endured. Job endured great, incredible loss. And he even endured great physical pain and difficulty. Uh, Endurance, this is a kind of a definition I've put together. Endurance, I think it's up there. Maybe it didn't make it up there. Okay, I've got it here. Endurance is the ability, ability to endure difficulty. Okay, maybe I don't have it. I don't know. Endurance is the ability to endure difficulty or discomfort or ridicule or persecution, physical sickness or satanic attack, and in the midst of it remain faithful grateful and hopeful so that God is glorified. You're going to face difficulty and in the midst of it to remain grateful, faithful, and hopeful so that God is glorified. Job was greatly blessed. And then in one day, he lost everything he had and everyone that was important to him except his wife. Job 1.13. Now, it happened on the day. Now, you know, this is all because uh, Satan is wanting to test Job. God says, have you seen Job? He's excellent. And Satan says, well, if, you know, if I test him, he'll, he'll curse you and die. So God says, okay, you can. You can test him. Now, it happened on that day that when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, that a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were playing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabians attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and I have alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. This is bad news. This is bad news on bad news, right? While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they died and I alone have escaped to tell you. That's a bad day. And Job arose and tore his robes and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked, I came from my mother's womb and naked, I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Now the common belief in Job's day and also in Jesus day, and even it extends to our day is that prosperity is the reward of right living. So if you live right, you'll prosper. So if you're wealthy, you must be living right. That was the, that was the concept of the day. 
Also, the concept of the day was if you're, if you're having trouble, it's got to be sin. If you're, so if you're wealthy, you're righteous. But if you're suffering, it's the consequence of sin. So when Job's friends came to comfort him, they could only conclude that his problem was a secret sin which was not readily discernible. In other words, you must have some secret sin that you need to repent of, and if you'll repent of it, your troubles will go away. Wouldn't you like for that to work sometimes? You could just say, God, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you make all this go away? It doesn't usually work that way. It's true God does bless his people. I believe that. God blesses his people. But all wealth is not evidence of God's blessing, right? Sin brings destruction and life and loss. We know that sin brings destruction and loss, but not all destruction and loss are the result of sin. See, what Job and his friends didn't have the insight, they didn't see the backstory, they, they don't know what's going on. What Job and his friends did not understand was that the, the loss that Job faced was because he had an enemy who had a goal in mind. And the enemy had a goal in mind to cause Job to give up on God, to curse God and die. He wanted him to give up on God. So what Job's friends didn't realize, and even Job didn't realize in the moment, that he had an enemy who was trying to destroy him. And you need to recognize that you have an enemy that in the same way wants to bring destruction into your life and he wants to destroy you. And every day, like it or not, whether you're aware of it or not, whether you agree with it theologically or not, you are in a spiritual warfare and a battle for what you believe. Satan, the Bible tells us, is going to make a deliberate attempt to destroy you. 1 Peter 5.8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking, looking for someone to devour. Now, how does he do that? His primary means of work, his primary means of bringing destruction is through deception. Satan is the father of lies. So the, the primary way that he deceives us is with deception. John 8, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, what's interesting, I think, is that the very first lie that Satan told, he told to himself. Isaiah tells us, You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. The first lie he believed was his own lie that brought about his own destruction. We need to be careful and beware of the lies that we tell ourselves. 
It's very easy for us to rationalize to ourselves to do what we want to do. We will tell ourselves the lies we need to tell ourselves to do what we want to do. We deceive ourselves. We, allow our, we, we believe our own lies. And so it's, it can be destructive. You see, he primarily, what does he want? What is Satan after? He wants you to sin, to fall, to quit, to give up, to throw up your hands in defeat in regard to your faith in Christ, to succumb to temptation, to ruin your reputation, and defame the name of Christ to the world and to the lost. He wants you to bring destruction to your life and those around you. He wants you to sin. He wants you to offend others with your failure so that their offense is with God, the church, the Bible, the church leaders becomes a roadblock to them coming into the kingdom of God. I mean, how many people do you know that they would say, if you began to talk to them about Christ, they're going to bring up Christians. The main reason why they're not, they don't want to come to church next Sunday on Easter Sunday is not because they don't know about church, because they've been to church. They got wounded, hurt, damaged. They believed a lie. They got lied to and they believed it. I don't know, anybody been hurt in church? Anybody, anybody been hurt like, did I ever give you your order right at McDonald's? Did you go back? <laughs> well, probably shouldn't go back to McDonald's. But anyway, that's a whole other point. But, but it's, it's funny. See, because the, the devil doesn't care if you stop going to Walmart. But he does care if you stop going to church. He's used everything he can to offend you. So he wants you to be offended. He wants you to be angry with God because you're having trouble. This was his end game with Job. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offend Job. I'm going to hurt Job. I'm going to wound Job. He's going to have great difficulty. And in the midst of that, I'm, he's going to curse God. He's going to curse God for, and not recognize and be thankful for what God has done in his life. So what do you do when you're under attack from the enemy and, and, uh, and you're always, to some degree, I believe, under an attack of the enemy. You may not recognize, you may not see it coming, but what do you do when you're under attack of the enemy? Number one, pray as best as you know how the will and purpose of God. So the first thing you do is you pray as you know the will of God. Matthew 6, 9. Then this is how you should pray, Jesus said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. So you want, to pray, you want God's will in your family, you want God's will in your marriage, you want God's will in your, with your children, you want God's will with your finances, you want God's will with your job, you want God's will with your own spiritual maturity. See, as far as we know, as far as we know, God's will is healing in every circumstance. So if I'm going to pray for somebody, I'm, going to, I'm, not, I'm not going to just pray for the, the Lord to guide the doctor's hands. I mean, that's a good prayer. Lord, guide the doctor's hands. I mean, I want, I want the doctor to know what he's doing. You know? I want the Lord to guide the doctor's hands. But I also want him to heal. <laughs> Miraculously cause restoration for the body to do what he created the body to do and to restore itself and, and for the, the power of the Spirit of God to bring healing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray that. And I'm going to pray for people to be healed until I get a revelation or a graduation. Until they either go on to be with the Lord or 
the Lord tells me, no, we're doing, I'm doing something different here. Pray a different direction. So how do we pray? We pray the will of God. We, as far as we know God's will, it's God's will to save everyone. Now, not everyone is going to be saved, but I don't know who they are. Do you? Because here, here's what I've seen. I've seen some pretty rough customers that I didn't think had a chance, a snowball's chance of making it out of hell. But God reached down and rescued them and saved them. And some of you are here. Would be a surprise. If someone looked at when you came to Christ, they would look back and say, that he was the least likely candidate that I thought was going to come to Christ. But Christ did it. He reached in with his grace and mercy. And I don't know that. So I shouldn't pre-qualify people. I shouldn't determine in my own mind who's going to make it and who's not going to make it, or who's going to go to heaven and who's not going to go to heaven, and who's going to respond to the good news and who's not going to respond to the good news, who's going to say yes and who's going to say no. I don't know that. As far as I know, the will of God is that he is going to save everyone, and so I need to invite everyone I know. I need to talk to everybody that I know. I need to give everybody I know a chance to come to know Jesus Christ. Amen? As far as we know... God wants to bring blessing and safety. Now, that's not the only thing you're going to pray. But how many of us are going to start today? Lord, I just pray today is tougher than every other day. I need a little more trouble today, Lord. You don't, it's funny. See, you don't have to pray that, do you? But it, it's okay to pray, Lord, bless us. Now, now sometimes it's like in, 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 in Acts they gathered together and they prayed. They said, Lord, behold their threats and give us boldness and courage to speak your word so that your name would be glorified. And Lord, stretch forth your hand to heal. So they're praying, Lord, they've just threatened that if we speak in the name of Jesus, they're going to kill us. Give us boldness to speak in your name. Give us courage even though we're surrounded by everybody who says, if you speak in our name, in his name, the name of Jesus, you're going to be killed. Give us courage to speak in the name of Jesus. It says, and the place where they were praying, the building was shaken. So, some, you know, we say, Lord, bless us, but sometimes a more dangerous prayer, and we're also praying the will of God, is Lord, use us. And it's not always safe. So, Praise best you know the will of God. Number two, proclaim the word of God over your life. If you're going to be in trouble, how do you get out of trouble? How do you deal with trouble? How do you endure in trouble? Is that you need to proclaim God's word over your life. 2 Corinthians 10.3. For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. But... We're destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In the same way that lies bring destruction, truth brings freedom and victory. Lies bring destruction and lead us down a wrong path. If we believe the lies of the enemy, if we respond to God's truth, what's he going to do? He's going to cast down imagination, every lofty thing that it raises up itself against the knowledge of God. So to overcome sin, to overcome the enemy, we have to believe, receive, and act on the Word of God and allow it to challenge our thoughts, our speculations, and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, everything that's contrary to what God says. There's a lot today 
that's contrary to what God says. You almost have to walk through your life today. You need to walk through your life armed with the Word of God. And when the news comes on, you say, that's not God's Word. That's not true. That's a lie. You, you have to actually have to battle with the truth, the lie. We're being bombarded all the time. We have never lived in a time where we had so much access to so much disinformation. So we, we have to be aware. We have to, we're, we have to be on our guard. Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Ephesians 6, 17 says, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God becomes the sword of the spirit of God when it comes out of your mouth. How, when does the word become a sword? Well, the word becomes a sword when you speak it. In 2 Peter 1, 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So you have to know what the promises are. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. In the same way that believing a lie brings destruction and bondage into your life, believing the truth, Jesus said, will set you free. So you need to hide his word in your heart. You need to know what God's word says. You need to hide his word in your heart, not just your head. But did you know that your head is a good place to start? You get it in your head by reading it and memorizing it. You get it in your heart by praying it and meditating on it and speaking it. It's good to have it in your head. It's good to know what you believe. We are in, we are in a season, we are in a, a new season in the life of America where for a long, long time there was a lot of historical knowledge of biblical truth. Whereas people understood Jesus died on the cross for your sins. They understood that Jesus was a savior. Just, just from the history of years and years of biblical truth been portrayed, a lot of people called themselves Christians. A lot of people believed themselves to be Christians. And a lot of people were Christians. But now we are in a dearth of truth. People do not know truth. People don't know what the Bible says. We are, we are getting to the place where preaching the gospel is like preaching the gospel on new soil again. It's not like they've heard the gospel a hundred times. They haven't. And so we're in a greater and greater challenge to know the word of God. We need to know the truth. We need to have it in our head. We need to know what we believe. You need to speak to yourself. The word of God. You know, you talk to yourself all the time. You realize that? And a lot of your talk is pretty negative. So you, a lot of times you are talking to yourself. You are speaking to yourselves the lies that the enemy is telling you. And you're responding to, and you're speaking those lies. What you need to do is be speaking the truth of God's word. 
You need to speak God's truth. You need to combat those lies with what God says. What does God say about me? What did Jesus do for me? Third thing is, and this is what we need to speak, we need to stand fast in the complete work of Christ. We have to learn to stand in what Christ has accomplished for us. You need to know where you stand by the grace of God, by the blood of the Lamb, by the victory of the resurrection, and the ongoing intercession of Jesus on your behalf. Somebody's always praying for you, and he's probably the best prayer there is. <laughs> he ever lives to make intercession for us. You think, man, I wish somebody would pray for me. He is. <laughs> All the time. Man, talk about somebody powerful praying for you. Did you recognize that? Jesus is praying for you. He's agreeing with you when you bring your needs before the Father. Jesus, God of God, God of very God, the Son of God, who's at the right hand of the Father, ever liveth to make intercession for us. That's why you don't have to be a good prayer. You've got a good interpreter. You think, you know, you can just go, God, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And then what comes out of that? A great prayer before the throne of God. So, Ephesians 1. We need to know where you stand by the grace of God, by the blood of the Lamb, by the victory of the resurrection, and the ongoing intercession of Jesus on your behalf. Ephesians 1.17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation of the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. God's power directed toward those of us who believe. These are in, in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So where's his feet? He's put all things in subjection under his feet. Where are Jesus' feet? Dun, 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 dun. Jesus' feet are you and me. We are the body of Christ. He has put all things in, in subjection under the feet of his body, the church. So, what are you? I'm blood-bought. I'm justified. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'm free. I've been set free in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can do more because I'm a conqueror. I'm more than a conqueror. Through him who loved me, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. My past is forgiven. For by grace I've been saved through faith, not, my, that not of myself. It's a gift of God. I would say not only is my past forgiven, my present is forgiven, my future is forgiven. My future is secure and settled in the will and purpose of God, and I'm going to heaven, but I'm not going alone. I'm determined to take some people with me. Amen? I need to remember who I am. 
I have to fight the fight of faith to believe what God says about me is true. I have to fight the fight of faith. The fight of faith is not with people. The fight of faith is to believe what God says about me and what, the God, what God says about himself is true. Number four, I got three minutes. Worship God regardless of what you're experiencing. Worship God regardless of what you're experiencing. Then Job rose and tore his, rose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from the, my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. Lord, give and the Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Then later, his wife said, the one, his wife who did not die with the other, everybody else. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, and I'm sure he was at arm's length when he said this. He, you know, backed up a little bit. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. You know, so just every now and then you might just say to your wife, Job 2.9. But back up before you say it. <laughs> Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. Paul and Silas are a good example, example of this. Paul and Silas get thrown in prison for preaching Jesus. And... Uh, and so they, they beat them. After they had, if they had beaten them, they, they put them in the prison and they fastened their feet in stocks. And I, can't, I cannot imagine how uncomfortable that is. There's no stretching your leg. There's no going to relieve yourself. There's really no repositioning yourself. You're, you're in a, you've been beaten. You've been placed in stocks. And about midnight, they were singing songs and hymns to the Lord. Now, for most of us, that's the last thing we're doing about midnight. We're going to grumble. We're going to complain. We're like, God, we were doing your work. We were doing your will. This isn't fair. Why is this happening to us? But about midnight, they're singing. As they're, as they're singing, there was an earthquake, and God shook the foundation of the prison house and their bonds fell off of them. The, bound, the bonds fell off everybody in the prison. That's something you need to recognize. Worship helps me understand and keep my mind in the right perspective that God is bigger than my problems. You know, we, we, we kind of pray like this. Yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross for me. I know he rose from the dead, but some of y'all got a big but. You, you let those things keep you from trust. Yeah, but it hasn't worked for me. But I, so we have to stand on the truth of God's word. Worship will nourish your soul. Worship does for me spiritually what sleep does for me naturally. Have you thought about it? So, so worship does for me spiritually what sleep does for me naturally. Do you ever not get a couple of nights where you don't sleep good? Whew. They will mess you up. Or even be sleep deprived. Some of y'all, I think, might be worship deprived. You look cranky. It nourishes us. It feeds our soul. And here, see, worship, then what happened? Worship set them free. Worships, as they worshiped, 
The bonds fell off, the, the stocks fell off, the doors opened up, and they were all set free. And worship set more than them free. Worship set everybody in the house free. You see, if you grumble and complain, you bring bondage on everybody in the house. If you worship, you bring freedom and liberty into everybody in the house. So what are you doing? What are you doing to the house? What's happening in your house? What's the atmosphere of your house? Is the atmosphere of your house grumbling and complaining? Is the atmosphere of your house praise and worship and thanksgiving, thanking God for the great things he's done and the great things he's going to do and being blessed? And I'm out of time because I have to stop on time or the little kids will come in here, attack us. It'll be dangerous. So let's stand. Thank you, Lord, for your exceedingly great and precious promises promises that give us the strength to endure in difficult seasons. Some people right here are in a place where they want to quit. It's always too early to quit. Instead, Lord, we pray that you would lead us into truth, remove deception from our eyes. Lord, fill our hearts with worship and praise so that we can endure in Jesus' name. Amen.